Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this bonus edition of the Media Podcast. Ooh, we're back with a proper show next week. But in the meantime, we wanted to play you something we found really interesting. It's an event called Do We Get the Press We Deserve? The night was hosted by Miranda Sawyer. Here it is. So, thing eight, do we get the press we deserve? When I started as a journalist uh, at uh, Smash Hits, it was in the late 80s, everything about the press was changing. And what was changing, essentially, uh, was the way that it was produced. So the printing presses were changing and we were moving to desktop publishing. This was a massive, massive deal. But it took quite a long time for these things to happen. And during the kind of 90s, the papers stayed as newspapers. So despite the fact that they'd moved to... Uh, desktop publishing, not much changed. The ink became less inky. They employed female uh, columnists to talk about things, mostly relationships and boyfriends, because they wanted more women to read it, uh, papers. And I would say talented but kind of ordinary British people made the headlines, but that was mostly to do with kind of Britpop and uh, football. But then came the internet. And, of course, uh, newspapers thought... This is fine. We've dealt, with, we've dealt with papers, we've dealt with radio. This is all fine. Newspapers are, are not a problem. Uh, the internet is not a problem. So initially, I don't know if you remember this, newspapers thought that what they would do was offer a version online that you could print off yourself. So we were ever going to do that. Or bigger pictures so we could look at them. Um, it's been well over a decade since that's happened, and everything is still in a state of flux. It's not just a question of whether a newspaper should be free, should it be behind a paywall, whether there should be members' benefits, which seems to be uh, the way a lot of papers are going. It's the actual format of the news. Now formats have changed, and they've changed not only the way that we see news, but also how papers see themselves. If you think about the Mail sidebar of uh, shame, BuzzFeed's listicles, uh, the Huffington Post blogs... Vice's kind of Google Glass live stream videos from protests. The format has produced, all these new formats has produced a new type of journalism that younger people prefer. And as papers are constantly chasing kind of younger people, this is what they're worried about. And added to that, we want closer news. So we want lovely interviews with fantastic celebrities, but we also want the dirt. And technology has given us to that, uh, that too. I remember going to the Brit Awards a bit ago and a tabloid journalist uh, came up to me and said... It's so irritating. We've got all the methods of getting all the gossip that we, you know, that we need. We have basically mobile phones with footballers sending pictures of their willies to the wrong people, but nobody's interested. And I thought, you're wrong. And he was wrong, because essentially readers do want it. They just don't want it in a newspaper. 
They don't want to go to the corner shop. They want it on their laptop, and they want it on their phones, and they want it now. What the papers give us now is more than ever dictated by what we want. We click on the sidebar of shame. We like 11 horses that look like Miley Cyrus. But if we, <laughs> if we only want pictures of tits and torture videos, is that what the papers should be giving us? Essentially, are we changing the newspaper, newspapers? Do we get the press that we deserve? So, to answer these questions, and your questions as well, we have Matt Kelly. He's digital director at Local World Media, but I met him in the 1990s when he was features editor at The Mirror. Um, so, we're going to start off with Matt. Lovely. Thank you. I am uh, Matt Kelly. I, uh, I've been a journalist for 25 years or so, uh, and I, I thought because I'm old and aged, I'll give you a sort of historical perspective about how I got into this mess and how newspapers got into the mess they're in now, and, and possibly some of the implications for that for us all. Um, I, I started on a little paper in Merseyside called the Formby Times back in, well, when I was 20, so that's 1989, and I earned £4,000 on the Formby Times, and the deal was that for three years... They would give me four grand and they would also train me as a journalist and they'd send me away to Darlington for three months at a time, three times, and I'd learn to become a professional journalist. And after my, that was called indentures, like an apprenticeship. And that was like quite a common way to get into journalism in those days. And, and these days it's, it's different and we'll talk about why that is in a little moment. But um, I got, as soon as I did my three years and I got my NCTJ exams and I could do 100 words, a minute shorthand, I understood about councils and magistrates' courts and all of those sort of dull, boring things that real people are quite affected by. I then got straight out of the former times and joined a paper in Liverpool called the Liverpool Echo. And Liverpool Echo was a very big regional newspaper and it paid £10,000 a year, which was a good salary in those days, 10000 quid a year, especially in Liverpool, which was on the bones of its arse. So you could, you could have a really great time in Liverpool for ten grand. But I was... I was very keen. I wanted to get out of Liverpool because it was on the bones of its arse and go down to London where everybody wanted to be as a journalist. Um, and the reason I wanted to be a journalist in London was the salaries were quite high. They were quite high even for a, a shift payment. So I'd drive down every Friday night down to London. I'd stay in a, a £20 a night shithole in Sussex Gardens and then do a shift in, in, on a Saturday newspaper for 140 quid, and then do a shift for a Monday paper uh, the next day for 140 quid again and drive back to Liverpool and I'd be back on the Liverpool Echo for six o'clock on Monday morning. And that, that was my life for three years until the Daily Mirror offered me a job. When the Daily Mirror offered me a job, the starting salary in 1996 was 42,000 quid. Yeah, right? So that's why I was slogging up and down the M6. Yeah? I was, you could buy a house in London, you could get a mortgage for 42,000 quid that would buy you a house in London. So that's why the M6 was full of people from London, Liverpool and Manchester back and forth trying to get a job in national newspapers. And when I got down to the Mirror, it was, very, it was the big time. You know, it was very much the big time. It felt like the big time as well. Money was, was endless. There was about 350 journalists employed on the Mirror then. And we sold three and a half million copies a day. So the money was coming in. It was a massive cash machine. By the way, if uh, we all get misty-eyed about how great newspapers <laughs> used to be in the past, this was, this was the mirror of the day I was born. Um, and in those days, in 1969, the mirror had 
650 journalists. They had, including an office of 16 people in New York, filling a paper that was never bigger than 32 pages. So there would be 16 people in New York writing maybe three or four stories a week in, uh, in the Daily Mirror. Um, so, so the Mirror has always been a cash cow. Tabloid newspapers still to this day are, are huge cash cows, very profitable machines. Um, I, I, so I had a lovely career at the Mirror, worked with Piers Morgan, who I always take the opportunities to say is a fantastic person, really nice guy, and if you met him, you'd love him, but makes the best to make himself look like a complete arse everywhere in public. But great guy and a great editor. And um, Piers made me uh, features editor in 2000 and whenever it was, for something like this. I was features editor for the Mirror for five years, and I was never once in all of that time asked to account for anything I spent at the Mirror. No budget. Never, I, I still, to this day, have no idea what my budget was at the Mirror. And we spent money like it was going out of fashion. We did some really good things. I remember uh, flying Carl Bernstein, the Watergate reporter. Um, Watergate was a big American political story <laughs> for, for, you, for you BuzzFeed generation. And... Uh, I flew uh, Carl Bernstein over uh, to report on the Blair inquiry, and he was so jet-lagged that he fell asleep during the Blair inquiry, so I, I wrote Carl Bernstein's front-page splash. So. Uh, and we, we, I remember paying uh, Alan Dershowitz, he was like a famous, famous New York lawyer, £3,000 to write 400 words on some... I can't even remember what it was about now, but he was momentarily the highest-paid columnist in Britain. And that was, you know, so we threw money out like it was going out of fashion. We did some things... I wasn't particularly proud of, in hindsight. We paid Stan Collymore 120,000 quid to tell the world about his dogging exploits. You know, so probably not something you would, you, would, you would value that highly these days, but, but no one knew what dogging was in those days. So I suppose, you know, we, we, we inter- I remember Piers saying, that's extraordinary, but what is dogging? And, and, and uh, so we did that, and also I paid... Uh, I had one reporter, we planted probably my finest tabloid achievement, one reporter in Buckingham Palace for three months undercover, being a, a butler to the Queen. That was, that was our investigation. And that guy, Ryan Parr. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. He was off staff, basically undercover for about four or five months. Uh, and that cost the mirror maybe 150 grand. But the reason we did all that was that in those days, the spike in circulation you got the next two, three, four, five days was enormous. When we got Ryan Parry in Buckingham Palace, circulation was up 25% for the next three days solid. Now, that paid for, the circul- paid for the cost of the investigation and more. But, of course, now, when you have a big story on a newspaper, there's no spike in circulation at all because it's on the internet and it's gone before you can even sell a single copy on the back of it. So there's an economic reality to that. There's a consequence. And the actual consequence in terms of granular uh, people level is that the starting salary on the mirror now is probably about 25 grand, something like this. Yeah? And a little bit more. But the reality is that, that the people who come to work on the mirror have to be able to afford to live in London on, on a relatively lower salary than they used to be. So you tend to get a load of kids from universities with relatively wealthy backgrounds, and it's a different, different kind of demographic. And that's got a consequence, I think, to the, the touch point that newspapers have with their, with their audience. So the question is, of course, where did all the money go? There's about, you know... One of the worrying lines is the revenue has slumped and the audience has slumped, circulation slumped, but the profit levels have stayed, stayed the same. So, of course, they've, they've sacked all the staff. That's where the money's... That's how they've made up the money. The Mirror's now got about, what is it, Steve, 150 journalists, something like this? About 150 journalists doing three times as much as that, as that rag, 96 pages. You know, so newspapers actually have never been better in terms of products than they are today. But the... The pressure on the staff is, is enormous. And where did that money go? Well, it went, as we know, we know the answer to this. Newspapers have lost relevance gradually. You go on any tube train, 30 years ago, everyone was reading a newspaper they bought, they paid for. 15 years ago, everyone was reading a free newspaper. Now, of course, they're all playing Candy Crush Saga. Uh, so newspapers have literally lost relevance in people's lives. And if you lose relevance in someone's life, you lose relevance with the advertisers as well. So it's a disaster in terms of, of relevance. We accepted disruptive models without paying any attention to them. Those free newspapers I was talking about, Metro and stuff like this, the mirror circulation fell 14% over the course of six months. And we didn't even look at the Metro as a competitor. We just put it down to something else happening out there. It wasn't our competitive set. It was just a, it was just a free newspaper. And then you got these awful phrases. The first time I heard it, whatever year it was, but good enough journalism. You know, this was it. It's just about good enough. And it was, it was, newspapers were suddenly being created on the basis of being just about good enough to satisfy a, a tube journey. And that wasn't a premium newspaper's model, still isn't. So it's difficult. And of course the internet, the internet came along and kiboshed us completely because we, we had so much vested interest that we spent decades, literally a decade or more, arguing about whether or not we should, we should engage with the internet, that it might go away, you know, that... <laughs> That, that it was cannibalizing our newspaper sales, and it was madness. It was madness for a newspaper like The Mirror to have its own website because people would stop buying the paper. And we couldn't see beyond that. We, couldn't see, we were so wrapped up in our own little navel-gazing business model that we couldn't, see, we couldn't see beyond it. And a very, very significant thing in the last three or four years is the shift in ad spend and the technologies now that drive ad spend away from branded experiences and more towards identifying particular audiences and that's something the internet enables. Newspapers are hopeless at technology. You know, we think a printing press is high tech. 
So we don't have a, a natural ability to adopt new technology, and we're not cutting-edge tech uh, vehicles. But the real reason we lost all of that money was arrogance. You know, we're arrogant organizations. We believed for a long time that we owned that audience. We actually believed we created that audience. And we were arrogant enough to think that we could choose to dictate to that audience what business model they would follow in terms of consuming content. But the reality was that the package of content in a newspaper had been disrupted and picked apart by the internet before we even knew it. And the consequence of that was that all of the, the makeup of a newspaper all of the thoughtful stuff alongside the salacious, all the titillating stuff alongside with the expensive reporting and the investigation. All of that stuff had been picked apart and we found out the ugly truth was that 99% of people didn't want the thoughtful stuff, they just wanted the salacious. Didn't want the investigations, they just wanted the titillating stuff. And that was our problem. And it's the, it's, it's the audience's problem. So to me, to answer your question, do we get the press we deserve? The truth is, you don't get the press you deserve. The press is much better than you deserve. <laughs> much better. It's much better than you deserve. Uh, and the danger to me is that you'll get the internet you deserve. Uh, because it's all right for a room like us, full of pseudo-intellectual liberal tossers, to go and find... <laughs> We'll go and find our good stuff on Slate and on The Economist and uh, or even on The Bloody Guardian. We'll find the quality stuff. But if, if your whole world view is dictated by the Daily Mail's wall of shame or, or BuzzFeed... BuzzFeed, actually, Buzz, not fair to pick on BuzzFeed. I like a lot of what BuzzFeed does. But, but if your whole world view is dictated by uh, Facebook, for instance, Facebook, then that, to me, is a big step backwards in the in the intellectual conversation of our society. I, I was looking for something to try and sound clever at this, at this conference, so I, I naturally turned to Alan de Botton. And, and, and he, he wrote a book about news uh, uh, last year, and he said, um, the media is what colours and textures our belief systems. Most problems in our society come down to the media. And I thought, that's absolute bollocks. I said, the reverse is true. It's society that colours everything in the media. Most problems in our media you can put down to our society. The media is just a reflection of our society. And the illusion we've been living under, the brand that we carried as the Daily Mirror or the Mail or the Telegraph or the Guardian, the brand was full of loss-leading journalism. The stuff that gave, made us palatable to advertisers, made us palatable to the audience at general. But it wasn't what they wanted. And now the internet's picked that apart. And when I think of society as well, I think right back to where I began on the Formby Times. And I think the national press will look after itself one way or another. If the Daily Mirror morphs into BuzzFeed over a period of 10 years, no one loses. It doesn't matter. But if you lose something at a local level, the Formby Times, where I started, doesn't exist anymore in any meaningful sense. It's run by four or five journalists in Southport, 12 miles away. No one covers the councils there. No one talks about the property appeals, the planning applications. No one goes to the local magistrate's court and covers all of those cases. And my question is that what happened, what that bundle, that package of content that a newspaper represented, carried with it a profit margin that gave you permission to be tenacious. And it gave you permission to do unprofitable things and ask awkward, unprofitable questions. And I think back to things like Hillsborough. And I wonder which of these new models of journalism will be tenacious over the course of 20 years and keep asking unprofitable, awkward questions about Hillsborough 
in the way that people from the Formby Times and then the Liverpool Echo and then the Mirror carried on doing. Who will do that? Who will stick by and uncover the scandals in Rotherham if everything we do is measured by some CPM metric, if everything we do is counted to the nth degree? If you go to Business Insider in New York and you look at Henry Blodgett, a god of new digital publishing, he's got on his desktop in front of him a list of every single journalist, and me- journalist in his team measured by the revenue they contributed to the business that month. And he loves it because he's always top, but someone's at the bottom and the pressure to get off the bottom is not by doing thoughtful investigative journalism that might matter to a community. The pressure is to go to, the, to that race to the bottom. So I worry about local newspapers. And local newspapers need reinventing, but they're important. I'll just ask a quick question. Who here bought a coffee at Starbucks or Cafe Nero or something like this today? Who's bought a coffee? Who paid for a coffee? And then who bought a newspaper? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Bug for hosting the event. I'm Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we're back with a new programme next week. Bye.